Is there a witch in the woods? A curse on your camp? A haunting in your home? It's time to find out. Welcome to the Cower Hour. I'm your host, Brian. And I'm Nora. And this week we've watched Hardware, released in 1990, written and directed by Richard Stanley, and based on a 2000 AD strip, Shock, published in 1980 and created by Steve McManus and Kevin O'Neill. Unofficially based on this comic. They did get sued. <laughs> well, I had the choice between going with based on or plagiarized from, and this one felt fine. <laughs> I mean, yeah, it says plagiarized in the Wikipedia article. Yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, I'm more interested in what you do with the jigsaw pieces than where you got them from, but definitely worth mentioning. Usually. Uh, this movie is apparently British, but I didn't hear any British in it. Really? Yeah. Are you, are you sure? Yeah. That was very English. Um, he did know. cast around, though, to, like, kind of muddy the setting unintentionally. Mm. To be fair, like, maybe a third of this movie sounded like it was overdubbed, so shrug. From what I read in the wiki, he did want to go with more American actors, but something to do with, like, the British Scene Actors Guild stopped him from hiring, like, more than a few Americans, <laughs> which is very funny. It's okay, there's only three characters in this movie anyway. True. Uh, Lemmy shows up for a while as a taxi driver. I don't know who that is, but uh, their name is Blue on the Wikipedia page. Ah, yes. There's a reason they'll have a blue name. The song they play in the taxi is is his band. They're quite famous. Uh, I'm not familiar. I'm not a music person. Fair enough. I mean, I listen to music plenty. I just am not like, you know... I'm not a music person. I'm made of flesh, like the rest of us. Oh, <laughs> shit. Wait, are we supposed to be made of flesh? Oh, yeah, I'm made of robot. Oh, damn. Well, we'll get into more robots, but first, what video games have you been playing, Nora? I have been playing... Wait, I can't talk about video games too much because I have another video game podcast, but I have been playing Final Fantasy Adventure. Similarly, I've been playing Final Fantasy VIII. I've been watching my wife play Final Fantasy VIII lately, so there's a lot of that going around. Yeah, I think I started the roughly the same time as them, but I am I a little so. bit behind. Yeah, um, I think they are about to finish, maybe? I can they probably, might be in the last dungeon. I can probably finish it today, I think. So maybe I've caught up. Um, Final Fantasy Adventure is a Game Boy game. Uh... At times, nearly indistinguishable from one of the Capcom Zelda games, like Link's Awakening or the Oracle games. I thought it looked um, like those. Yeah, except that, like, if the progression items were all either weapon items or um, consumables with an ammo count, rather than being just, like, items that you equip and can use... Yeah, there's not really, like, many tools. Uh, but also, because it is um, Final Fantasy Adventure or Seiken Densetsu Final Fantasy Gaiden, um, there are just Final Fantasy characters in this video game. Even though this is the... Um, this gets spun out into the uh, Mana series, the, like, Adventures of Mana, Sword of Mana, etc. Uh, those two games are actually remakes of this game. But um, one of the characters, like, sometimes characters will come with you and just be in your party, so to speak. And what that actually means is that they'll just run around in circles on the screen that you're in 
just fucking flip out. That's very helpful. Um, it it is, but if you hit, hit the pause menu and hit the ask button, uh, sometimes some of them will heal you or give you advice. The two things that people can do. Yeah, and also they'll randomly launch attacks uh, as they're spinning around and running around the screen. They won't actually like focus on enemies very much, but they'll like toss out an axe or a fireball or whatever. One of those was a red mage. Just a straight-up red mage from Final Fantasy 1. Uh, he did end up being the villain in disguise, though, so you uh, hate to see that. That is the third thing that people can do, and it's probably the least helpful. Yeah, and also there's like just white mages and like the dwarf sprites from Final Fantasy are, are in here. That's what dwarves look like. It's just it is a very Final Fantasy game, despite like being a, a different game basically by the time it gets like attention. Um, I'm interested to play more of these games. I know that they get more different from this as they go on, but yeah. I imagine they'll still have, like, that lineage you'll be able to see. Yeah, for sure. I also started a couple other RPGs, like Dragon Quest Three and Tales of Vesperia, but I don't have much to say about those yet. Yeah, I'm also playing a lot of RPGs at the minute. I'm very locked into Final Fantasy, though. Um, oh, right. The reason I did this is because I finished Final Fantasy VII Remake. That's why I've been in uh, JRPG brain. <laughs> yeah. I have not played that, but I have watched some of it. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a good-ass video game. Yeah, it seemed pretty cool. But I've been having a good time with it. Um, I don't think the, the the big like central romance to that game has landed as well as it should have with me, but mostly because I just did not have one of those two characters in my party for 90% of the game. Um, which is maybe unwise of me, but that's just how I wanted to play it. How could you leave Squall behind like that? I could never leave Squall behind. <laughs> well, if you didn't leave Squall behind, then you're saying that you played most of Final Fantasy VIII without using the character who uses a dual disc. You know, some of, sometimes we make decisions, and in hindsight, they're That's not so always true. the ones that were in our best interest. Look, it was That's her, so I'll have a cowboy, and I wanted the cowboy. Yeah, no, that's fair. That's just me. I'm always out here to have a, a yeehaw and a good time. A yeehaw and a good time. There yeah. you go. You gotta have both. Did you have a yeehaw and a good time watching Hardware from 1990? I sure as hell did. Do you want to talk about it? <laughs> sure. I'll talk about some parts of it much more fondly than other parts. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine so. Um. So, before I jump in... Some content warnings, uh, pretty obvious violence and gore in this one. There's enough of it. Um, there's a bunch of flashing lights up at the top of the movie. If you haven't already watched it and that's going to be an issue for you, keep an eye out. Well, don't do the opposite of that. Maybe skip a little while. Uh, also near the end, that comes back, but not quite as much. Yeah, you maybe want to skip over the intro and outro to the movie. Um, and there is also like a f- one or two scenes of self-harm, which is worth mentioning, I think. Yeah. Flashing lights bombard the screen as we open with a Bible passage. No flesh shall be spared. Mark 13. In an endless, orange-hued desert, a mysterious stranger picks through the wreckage of a battle, scavenging the remains of a strange robot. Back at what remains of civilization nearby, we meet Moe and Shades as they make their way to the local scrap dealer. Shades explaining about the riches of New York that remain to be plundered, since nobody will repopulate the Big Apple, on account of all the rats. 
As they wait for their scrap to be valued, the mysterious stranger rolls up and Shades takes the robot's head out of the man's bag. Mo buys a lot of him for $50 as a Christmas present to his girlfriend and sells some of it back to the scrap dealer, Alvi. On the radio, the host, Angry Bob, tells us about the breaking of the Christmas ceasefire as Jill wakes up in her apartment. Somebody rings her bell, but runs before she can answer, seemingly something that has happened a few times. And Jess brews, Jess, Jill brews up some tea as we hear about the United States' new population control bill. Jill, an artist who works primarily with metal, looks at her latest work, which is still missing a central component, and sets to work. Couple of things. One, they're really mistreating the junk dealer character. Yes, they are very rude to him. It was, and it was uncomfortable and shitty. Um, but that's what happens when you don't have the most, like, idealized human body in this movie. If you don't look like the main character or the main girl, then you have a weird, gross, like, fat body or you have a small body. And either way, it's going to be, like, really focused on as, like, a... a uh, a part of the movie that you're supposed to not enjoy. Yeah. I, they're very rude. Like, Mo especially is rude to Alvi. I don't know that outside of that, the movie treats him, like, badly. Uh, I don't know. But definitely in his relation to Mo, he is, like, very ill-regarded. Which kind of sucks. Uh, the other thing is that um, Jill talks about feeling like she's fighting with the metal, but, like, artistically... Yeah. Just put a pin in that. Hmm. Something to think about. And, and the the metal is winning. Um, also, like, the nice little thing on the radio, like, yep, th- this world is a fucking post-apocalyptic hell zone and the United States government still in place. Still going. The radio uh, man is the best part of this movie, I think. <laughs> you like Icky Pop? I don't know, but I like that radio man. Well, that's Icky Pop. I don't know who Iggy Pop is. Oh, that's but... another musician. Oh uh, yeah. Um, this is a this this movie is is feels at times like a music video. Well, there's a reason for that. Uh, the director made a lot of music videos. That is. Oh uh, yeah, I was just reading that. That is true. And also documentaries. Yeah, he was filming in I forget where before this movie, but he was filming somewhere. He was. Um... Uh, it says here, just this is just a sentence on his Wikipedia page. Um, by the late eight, 1980s, Stanley had joined a guerrilla Muslim faction in the Soviet-Afghan war in order to shoot a documentary. He started pre-production of hardware immediately after leaving Afghanistan. So. Something to think about. Yeah. Um, I do like the way the setting seems to be... It's both at the same time, so it's like the biggest post-apocalyptic thing I feel like there is around these days is Fallout, right? Uh, I mean, I think that like in terms of just general being ubiquitous, I think that Walking Dead might be like a more uh, uh, like maybe that's a different kind of apocalypse, right? I feel like in the in like the nuclear okay. apocalypse kind of thing, you've got this. Uh, sure, you've got Fallout. Yeah. You've got like Mad Max. Maybe. Yeah, um, and Mad Max is kind of like people are aren't really thinking about the older Mad Max films in 2020 when they say like Mad Max. Yeah. Um, 
they are kind of this either it's either Fury Road or it's like parodies of Mad Max or like derivatives of Mad Max they're actually thinking about, it seems like. Yeah. Um, the thing I was going to say is like, I feel like one of the things that is supposed to be there in Fallout and doesn't really show up, especially in the more modern games, is like there is supposed to be civilization being real world, right? There are supposed to be lots of people still just like living their lives again. Um, mm-hmm. You know, like, and I feel like this movie does a really good job with that. Even though, like, the war is clearly still going, there is this rebuilding, there is people living still. Yeah, um, but it's also, like... Largely, like, living in there's... the shells of the past, yes, but, like... Yeah, but there's there's the... We'll get to it here in a second, but there's a line where somebody's talking about... You used to be able to walk down the street with just a pipe or a piece of wood, now you have to have a gun. Yeah. And it painted this picture of, like, all these people are suffering, but none of them are helping each other. And it had, like, some very, like, that everyone is out for themselves, but also everyone is equally suffering due to, like, the things that are happening. And it was, like, just this weird, almost libertarian vibe of, like, be, you want to be the cool guy with, like, the junk and the and the robot hand. You don't want to be one of those people on the on the street. Yeah, you know. We'll definitely go into that as we sort of go into the apartment building because I feel that's where this stuff comes up the most. Mm-hmm. Um, I yeah. do feel it's the juxtaposition there is intentional, especially given the way Jill lives. Mm-hmm. Um, There's a lot of like weird offhand remarks about how the society works that had me a little bit confused. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so Shades and Mo catch a cab, cab ride downtown from Lemmy. Um, and Shades talks about wanting to return to space. Their apartment building has fallen into disrepair while Mo was away, and they are forced to take the stairs up to Jill's apartment, seeing a mother and child dead on the floor on the way up. Um, well, the mother's dead. The yes. child is still there. Um, I mean, Mo remarks on the way in that this used to be a, a respectable establishment, but apparently someone drove a car in through the front. Which yeah. I, uh, I guess isn't helpful to your apartment lobby. I also didn't think, like, when I was watching this scene, they kept talking about space. I wasn't sure if it was, like, real or if they were, if it was, like, the, just the idea of them actually going to space yeah. seemed far fetched. But mean, I guess. Shades, Shades wears shades all the time because he spends most of his time in space and Earth is too bright for him. Hmm. Huh. I also watched this while trying not to wake up my roommates, so yeah. I might have missed a couple details early on. Uh, I believe I got that from like a trivia page on IMDb. <laughs> it is not in the movie. <laughs> um, but I, is that why he also does uh, a bunch of drugs? Oh, we will definitely get to that. <laughs> um, yeah, I feel there's lots of little nudges to like the wider setting here that like interest me in a way a lot of post-apocalyptic stuff doesn't. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. This is a more, much more interesting version of it because it doesn't seem like those those little comments do their job of making it feel like there's a bigger setting out there. Yeah. Um, like, as much as I like the horror stuff in this movie, and I do like it a lot, I almost wish it kind of didn't have to be that right and we got to see a little bit more of this world and what being in it is like. 
Like, Shades is talking yeah. about them just, like, plundering New York. Is that a thing you can do? Is New York just empty? Like, why is... You walk over there and it's it's near Automata. Why why is New York empty? Why has no one else plundered it yet? Um, the rats. What about the rats? I need to know more about the rats. <laughs> um, so they get up to Jill's apartment and she is very safely locked in. She has big, huge metal doors, a camera, the works. Uh, she is also she's friends with the building security. Yeah, it seems like she has to call on them occasionally for her visitor, whoever that might be. Maybe we'll find out okay. who that is later. Um, but while people are like struggling downstairs, she is safely tucked away upstairs. Oh, also, this scene where they're climbing the stairs has big cuck energy. I don't know if you caught this also. Oh, definitely. Like, she is fucking shades on the side. There is no way she is not. But also, uh, Mo is like, okay, shades, when I'm, when I'm out of town, you better fuck my wife. Oh, I think he just doesn't clock it at all. Because, like. It felt to me like he was like, good, she needs to get fucked, and if I'm not home, you take care of her, alright? Maybe. But there is a scene, <laughs> there is a scene later where she, like, greets him really coldly and then just like stops yeah. and talks to Shade for a few minutes while Mo stands in the background mm-hmm. like what's going on? What's happening? Yeah. Um, um this there's some there's a there's a web here. Yeah. <laughs> you can you can see the web, you can see the strands. While we're talking about general apartment stuff as well, I feel like it's worth noting that we hear that Jill's apartment and all the security and stuff is paid for by welfare. And that brings into the question, like, yeah. what is she getting on welfare that the other people we see aren't? And why? Is it because she's one of the people who isn't irradiated, and so she can have better babies? Is that what gets you better welfare? Maybe. Like, uh, my first assumption would be because, would be that it's like, oh, because Mo is in the military, but I'm pretty sure we learn later that, like, he got booted out, actually. I don't remember. There is a discussion later where he's, he's like... he. I'm pretty sure he says he got kicked out. And this is why he's been doing this crap instead. We'll get to it. But she definitely talks about how she has a welfare coming in and that's paying for just like her reclusive artist lifestyle, which is more than a lot of people's welfare pays for fucking now. Yeah. Uh, it's very interesting to think about like... The state exists still. It is still doing things. It is still paying for things. Uh, but the things that it seems to be putting money into are very strange. Obviously, there's killer robots. You, we know about those. That's basic fascist government shit. Mm-hmm. But, like, to invest in more in welfare, but less in, like, roads? Yeah. As an example? Is it some weird, like, some, like, weird artist grant, maybe? Because she also talks about, like, modifying and decorating, like, consoles for people uptown or something? The Democrats won one election, and the only welfare they put through is for the artists so that we can all get through these trying times together. (laughs) But only the ones that work with scrap metal and decorate computers for the military. It's weird, right? (laughs) It is. I, like... In the grand scheme of things, like, her apartment's not bad. 
It's kind of <laughs> covered in scrap, to... but that, that's more a product of the way she works and lives than anything wrong with the apartment. Yeah. I mean, everything in this movie is brown, tinged, at least a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, and nothing is really clean. There's especially some weird, suspicious, like, foam in the water when they get in that taxi boat. Yeah. Um, I'm pretty sure the cleanest thing we see outside... Well, I guess the bathroom's pretty clean later. That's true. The bathroom is not the worst. Um, Yeah, the kitchen wasn't that bad either. I guess it is mostly just her studio that's kind of a mess. Mm. Which I guess is also the living room. Um, which relatable. Oh. Uh, so, Jill wakes up and... Wait, no, I've skipped over something. Jill lets them in after checking both her radiation, giving Mo a chilly reception at first until he reveals her Christmas present. The android head from earlier. She admires the workmanship and the two embrace while Shades awkwardly makes himself scarce. Uh, later the two... Very slowly, though. Yeah, he... He very slowly, like, starts inching away, and he's like, he lets it be awkward for a minute. It's almost like he kind of expects it to stop and then to, like, carry on the conversation. And he's like, so we're gonna <laughs> keep... Uh, no? Well, okay. Well, I'm... I'll, I'll leave. Uh, later the two have sex, watched all the while by Jill's voyeuristic stalker, Lincoln, who seems to do little else than spy on and take photos of her. Throughout these scenes, the android's head, uh, android head's eyes begin to flicker red. Uh, up in his room, half-naked, Shades sits in front of his shrine and takes some drugs. Shades looks like he lives an interesting life. Yeah, um... Uh, yeah. That's kind of nothing in his apartment, aside from, like, candles and this shrine. I guess he keeps... Yeah, I guess he keeps things pretty scarce, given that he's, like, in space a lot of the time. That makes sense. Maybe he's just used to living without a lot of material possessions. Meanwhile, Alfie does some research into the android, the Mark 13. Jill wakes up and puts on some TV before getting to work with the scrap that Mo brought in. She paints the android skull with the stars and stripes, and makes it the centerpiece of her current sculpture, adding some blowtorch dolls as additional detailing. The noise of her work agitates the neighbours downstairs and wakes Mo up. They argue about the population control bill, if Jill's sculpture is supposed to mean anything, and some other things including her selling some sculptures, before Alvy calls, asking Mo to come and meet him, mentioning the Mark 13. While Alvy flicks through his files, Mo goes to the only Mark 13 he recognizes, a Bible passage, before heading out to meet Alvy. Back inside the apartment, the Mark 13's head flickers to life again. Jill wakes up and takes an incredibly vulgar call from Lincoln before falling asleep again as the Mark 13 begins to repair and recharge itself, pulling together scrap metal to make limbs and a body. And they go real hard on characterizing our soon-to-be-deceased friend, Lincoln. Uh-huh. I hate it. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's a little, um, a little much. It's... it's... it sucks. Uh, not like, oh, you, you're not allowed to put this theme in your movie or whatever, but no. like, I don't like watching it. I don't like hearing it. It's just not very pleasant. Yeah, like, that just kind of jazzing us up a little bit for when he gets murdered and there is definitely a thing such a thing as like too much doing that for a character like he also just jerks off yep like i understand 
that um, it is part of this sort of genre to, uh, like, you know, the post-apocalypse, the whole thing is, like, very exaggerated. Um, I just... That one I didn't really need, especially since, like, it really, really is focused on his like gross mouth when he's looking through the telescope yeah look at his fat chin you could do about 90 percent less in these scenes and it would work <laughs> better probably so i was like also yeah there's like two shots of the stuff he has on his walls one of which is just a whole bunch of photos of her that he has like pinned up and dated the second seems to be like shoes dated and they go very small they go to like kids shoes now mm-hmm. I don't know what the fuck that is supposed to mean. There is a potential there I'm, that is creepy as shit. It reminds me. It reminds me of uh, something in the Netflix Castlevania, where like this guy has a room full of shoes of all of the people he's killed, but that's a, a slightly different vibe. Um, yeah. Um, you know, in the future, you can just tell me someone is a gross out, and that's all I need. I don't need to see them doing the stuff. Yeah, I don't know. I don't want to, like, harp on this too much because I don't want to sound like I'm moralizing. It was just an unpleasant, like, character in this movie. Yeah, like, the only purpose he serves is to show up first and get murdered, I feel like. Yeah, you want to have at least one person that the robot kills that you feel good about. Yeah. And that's, like, I don't know, maybe you wouldn't feel good about it, but there's probably other characters in this movie you could have given a little bit more screen time and... Kill them first, I guess. Ah, uh, so, Mo makes it to Alvy's yard, only to find that he has already been killed by the Mark 13's pen, which is equipped with a deadly toxin. A tape recording of Alvy going through the Mark 13 details plays, filling in most of the threat, and he quickly tries to call Jill's apartment, but the Mark 13 melts her phone. He calls Shades instead, but Shades is still incredibly high and will never not be high. He agrees to go help Jill <laughs> anyway. Uh, he tries to put his pants on and falls over. Meanwhile, the Mark 13 attempts to attack Jill, but she moves away just in time and avoids being eviscerated by it. While spying on her, Lincoln also sees the Mark 13 staring at him down the barrel of his camera and very quickly makes his way over there. Not sure how he gets there that quickly, but I'm pretty sure he's in a different... He must be in a different building, right? I think so. Or he's in the same building and it's like a U-shape or something, because he's definitely watching her from across. Yeah. Window to window. Yeah. Um, I guess the U-shaped building is the only thing that really makes sense for him to get there as quickly as he does, because he is there in minutes. Uh, almost instantly, actually, because Jill secures a light and engages her emergency lock only for Lincoln to come in through the door. Basically, straight away. Um, he is very over-familiar with her in a very creepy way. Uh, he's also familiar with the apartment security. So Lincoln heads into the lounge to try and release the emergency lock, which I guess was, like, timed and only activated after he'd walked in. Uh, He manages to release it, but also goes to open up her blinds so that he can continue spying on her. Unfortunately, the Mark 13 closed them, not Jill, and it waits there in ambush to brutally murder him. The Mark 13 then relocks the doors. Um, there's a lot of really good shots in the dark here, like, by candlelight. It took me a very long time to watch this movie the first time I did because I just had to keep stopping to take screenshots. The the body stuff we've talked about aside, I feel like this is a very like aesthetically pleasing movie. 
Yeah, um, I think an appeal of this sort of setting for me is the environments. Um, I'm always interested to see how they portray and characterize like the environments because that tells you a lot about the world and the people. Yeah. Like the fact that there's just a dead body in the hallway. That nobody has tied it up. And the fact that like she opens a fridge later and it's like actual products that they put together for this movie, not just like Coke, but the future. Synth milk. There's like alligator milk. Oh, unigator milk. What the fuck is a unigator? I don't know. Um, would love to find it's out. It's a gator with a horn. Um, and also, just I mean, also like the dead body in the hall. Maybe that's a little skull on a toilet. But like, <laughs> <laughs> you know, um, the I I feel that works even like it works a lot better than the skulls on the toilets and fallout though because that's recent. Like yeah, she has recently true. died on the way up the stairs, and just like nobody has noticed or done anything about it. Mm-hmm. Um, which I feel is definitely like part and parcel of them. This is why I feel like it's less libertarian and more like, look how comfortably this artist and her boyfriend lives, compared to like the people who are actually struggling downstairs. Mm-hmm. Um. But if they just had a cool gun, they could go out into the zone and scavenge for junk, just like him. Well, we'll see how it works out for him. <laughs> uh, Jill escapes into the kitchen, where everything has been powered on by the Mark 13's manipulation of the power grid. She realizes at this point that it's using infrared to see and hides in the fridge, where it gets a little close for comfort, but doesn't seem to notice her. Um, it try- It clearly like, tries to provoke her into moving and shit. It's very interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, just as it is about to reach for her, Shades arrives at the door and distracts it by crawling into the apartment. She attacks it with a power saw, damaging it but getting slashed in the process. Um, the Mark 13 also damages an oxygen container, causing it to leak into the room. I'm not sure why there's so many oxygen containers in the kitchen, but, you know, it's the future, I guess. You really know how to oxygenate a pizza, Mom. Oh, I guess maybe it's for, like, she does welding? Oh, yeah. Do you use oxygen sure. for that? I don't know if you use oxygen for that. But... Fire uses oxygen. I mean, yeah, because there's the torch. There's the torch. There's the fire thing that she has. That yes. probably uses oxygen to burn, right? And she just keeps it in the kitchen. We've solved it. I mean, this apartment is almost a studio. Yeah, I guess she doesn't have, like, an oxygen storeroom, huh? <laughs> a pantry <laughs> a welfare checks don't pay for everything I guess uh, the Mark 13 tries to grab and attack her as she flees but after breaking loose and briefly blinding it she throws a burning cigarette carton into the kitchen igniting the oxygen oh um yes I need to talk about the cigarettes because they're not cigarettes are they not oh no it's they're they're weed yes it's weed and they call it dope and the packaging says good vibes. <laughs> they legalized it. <laughs> they did. Look, you finally got to do something to make people chill after the bombs drop. Okay, uh, uh, welfare for artists and weed. There, done. What, what does it take to get this on the on the? God, what is, what's it called when you get a thing on like the legal table, on the docket? All it takes is a very very big war, and also for a lot of people to get nuked. Also, the radio station is called WAR Radio. <laughs> <laughs> who, what, who are they fighting? 
Uh, they show like some vaguely racist shit on the TV, so I, I assume those people. The oxygen is ignited in the kitchen and it all explodes, sending the Mark 13 up in a, a ball of fire. Mo finally gets on the scene uh, and continues trying to break into the apartment as Jill walks away from the burning kitchen, satisfied that she's done the job. This is one of the, I'll say four maybe, places that I thought the movie was going to end and then it didn't. Surprise, it keeps going. She unlocks the door and walks over to greet them, only to be confronted by Mo and the security team loaded for bear. He ducks and they just start shooting the shit out of the burning Mark 13, which was behind her. Filling it with bullets until it is forced backwards out of the window. Mo triumphantly... And it's also... Sorry? It's also T-posing. Yeah, well, that's what robots it's al- do sometimes. It's also... It's standing there like Jesus on the cross, covered in flames, with its, like, syringe rabbit teeth. Yep, that's the America that's robot. Image. That's the America robot. Not No, no, not that one. Not the Gundam. The other America robot. So it is forced out of the window, and Mo triumphantly declares its death while the security team starts putting out the fire. Shades is also here. Seems like he's having a bad time. Uh, Mo, like, I feel like as soon as the action starts, it makes a really good job of showing, like, why people maybe don't want Mo around. <laughs> um, he takes, like, so much pleasure in doing this. Like, damn, I got to shoot mm-hmm. a thing. Yeah. Which is, like, he's divinely protected, you see. I feel like this ties into the him being kicked out of the military stuff, right? Mm-hmm. Like, the soldier stuff is all pretend for him at this point. Yeah. Because, um, like, when we see the stranger out in the desert at the beginning, it doesn't, like, seem that dangerous in, like, an active sense, right? Mm-hmm. I, I figure I'm more in danger of, like, stepping on a mine or walking into, like, yeah. an active battle than having to fight, like, a mutant. I don't think this is that kind mm-hmm. of... That kind no. of... No. I think that the dangers of this apocalypse are just like people and more specific, more more broadly the state and it's like yeah um, the state both theirs and yours the state in in like um I think part of this is also like we when we see them stranger like find the robot at the beginning he like goes past barbed wire and very pointedly looks around to make sure no one sees him do this <laughs> and when Mo um, brings in the scrap to Alvi. He's like asks if it's legit as well, so I feel like scavenging out in the waste is probably like illegal. And it's like it's not. This robot wasn't sent here to kill these people, right? No, uh, they brought it. It self repaired and it started doing this. It's like this is just a, a side effect of what the state is doing. It's like this callous god. Yeah, like it's, it's just not this like act- play toy plaything that they left out in the wastes and someone brought it home mm-hmm. as a Christmas present. Exactly. Uh, as Jill and Mo look out the window, Shades once again suggests that they all go to New York before excusing himself. Jill suggests that the Mark 13 is the government's population control. Still alive, it reaches through the window and pulls her out, leaving her hanging from an electrical wire while it clings to the building. I, I need to slow down here. That's not all she says here. She calls it the final solution. You cannot do that. You cannot call your goofy American flag robot the final solution. That's not allowed. Maybe a little strong. I believe this is also where we get the conversation (sighs) about Mo not being in the military anymore. 
I'm pretty sure he says he tells her that he's going to like stick around and like protect her. And she says, like, oh, for how long? And I'm pretty sure that's the point where he's like, I've been kicked out of the military, I can stay around. Which doesn't make her any happier because it just sort of reveals he's been lying about having to leave. Um, yeah, I think her line I uh, I actually do have it. It's uh you never had to go back, did you? That was a lie. Your contract is up. Which I know that I guess people in the military now have a contract, but it's not called a contract in the way that in the like tone of voice that that it is in this line. Gig economy, baby. Just like, Came to the military. Yeah, exactly. Uber for guns. Ugh. I mean how many how many years from now do you think? Uh, Outer Heaven was in the seventies, right? <laughs> God, I remember seeing what what movie fiction like like what year this is supposed to fictionally take place in, but I don't remember it. It was something like close. Yep, it pulls her out and she's hanging from an electrical wire. Unable to help her, Mo tells her to swing and jump to the ledge below. But the wire snaps, and Jill is tossed through the window of the apartment beneath hers, landing unconscious on the table. The Mark 13 turns its attentions to Mo, almost pulling him out of the window as well, but he manages to climb back inside and struggle with it for a while, but ends up getting poisoned just as Albie did. The Mark 13 gets up and heads for the security console as Mo succumbs to the toxin, hallucinating a series of strange, doom-like visions as he dies. Um, this is where the self-harm stuff comes up, but also, like, some bug stuff? Mm-hmm. It's not great. No. It's not what I'd call great. There's a lot of... It felt like some of the weird shots here, I couldn't really see them very well, but it seemed like looking up into the sun, um, and it seemed to be evoking, like, time spent in the military, maybe in a different part of the world or something? Maybe. The thing we know about this toxin is, like... It's supposed to be, like, euphoric as it's killing you. Mm-hmm. You, like, enjoy it. Some of which, I guess, translates into the shots we get of the Mark 13 sort of, like, leaning over the security console and waving its arms as music pounds <laughs> and, like, disco lights come out from behind it. It's fucking great. It's fucking goofy as hell. It's so good. I love the robot in this. The robot is great. They do a... They put a lot of effort into not letting you see the whole robot for most of the movie. Yeah, they're very, like, particular about, like, the ways in which it's framed. I've even, like, stopped it on some frames where, like, light flashes and you can see it, you know, much more clearly. And even then, I think it still looks good because they're not showing you the entire thing. Yeah. And even when you do see the entire thing, it's kind of goofy, but it's cute. I like that robot. Yeah, like, it's kind of goofy, but also it could definitely hit me with a saw blade and I'd die. So, <laughs> believable. Um, I feel that's generally why robots work better for me when it comes to, like, this this kind of, like, practical stuff. Mm-hmm. This is your second killer robot movie that you've picked. Yeah, I like them. They're good. We stand a killer robot. Jill wakes up in her neighbor's apartment, everyone attempting to nurse her back to health. I believe Shades is, like, praying. Uh, she pushes them all aside and rushes upstairs to try and save Mo. Everyone follows her, but the Mark 13 causes the doors to open and close erratically. Causing both the chief, who is bisected by the doors, and Vernon, who is shot by the chief as he dies, clearly not practicing that trigger discipline, to be killed. Rest in peace to the security team, you on screen for 60 seconds, maybe. Mm-hmm. Uh, Shades freaks out a bit. Makes sense. 
Jill finds Modet and hence heads to the security console as the Mark 13 takes Vernon's body and begins to just chainsaw it apart to intimidate her, I guess. You know, this robot was designed to do one thing and it does it. <laughs> From the console, he hacks into the Mark 13 and tries to communicate with it, resulting in little other than it mocking her. She does, however, learn its weakness to water and loads it to the bathroom where it knocks her through the glass into the shower. As it menaces her, Shades times his jump to make it through the malfunctioning doors, takes the chief's pistol and heads to the bathroom where he shoots the Mark 13 in the head. It flinches away, giving Jill a chance to escape as the shower is turned on, and the two of them stand and watch as smoke begins to pour from the sparking and dying Mark 13, which eventually bursts into flames and falls limp. Jill strikes it with the baseball bat until both it and the bat are broken to pieces, while Shades grimaces and tries to calm her down. The movie's title, song, The Order of Death, starts up over scenes of the broken Mark 13 as the radio comes back on. An angry Bob informs us that the Mark 13 has been approved for mass production, creating 800 new jobs on the assembly line. A figure walks out into the atomic desert as the credits roll. And that's hardware. This is hardware. I fucking love The Order of Death. It's a real good song. Uh, I have a treat for you. Do you? I do. I found an uh, interview with uh, Richard Stanley from uh, 2009. Please tell me it's good things and not things that will make me f- feel ill of this movie. Oh, I just want to give you a little taste of how he characterizes the robot from his movie. Um, He talks briefly about his documentary about um, a Nazi person. I don't know, some person in like the military searching for the Holy Grail, uh, which was something that he did before this movie. Um, He says, after that part, he says... Um, you're always striving towards something, even if you don't know what it is you're striving toward. The droid in hardware is a good example of that. In a sense, the droid is on a spiritual quest. He's striving toward the light at all times. And the interviewer says, what do you mean? 
He says, in Faust, they say that he strives towards the light. They say he that strives toward the light is saved, whether or not he knows what he's doing. The droid simply seeks out 35 degrees Celsius heat blips. It doesn't know it's committing evil. It's simply fulfilling its primary program to reach for the light at all times. It has a brain, so presumably it gets some kind of endorphin rush when it fulfills that purpose. Interesting. Yeah. We do, did not we, expect that. We didn't make a robot that kills people. <laughs> Don't be ridiculous. It just hunts down warm <laughs> targets. <laughs> it's... It doesn't know what it's doing. It's just doing what we told it oh, to. Oh, don't worry. The robot enjoys this. Don't worry. The robot will come we, we, after killing We programmed it to like doing this. So I have a, a couple other treats. Um, I love treats. Uh, also, real quick, a bit about like the Mark 13 <laughs> getting mass-produced and it creating jobs and how mm-hmm. like great that is. It's like, a, such a good little detail. Uh-huh. Can you imagine like the people on fucking Twitter if like the United States announced some big... Like, new programs to make military shit and how many jobs it was creating. There would be people all over that. Like, oh, this is great. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Thank you. This food tastes so good. And also, it ends with the uh, radio, the same radio guys from the guy from the start saying, Go out and get a job, you uh, unemployed fuck, or whatever he says. Mm-hmm. Thanks, Angry Bob. Do you think this is why the Fallout games have people on the radio? Uh, probably. So, like, oh, we have I, really I, punchy well, radio hosts. Like, obviously. Let me, let me double check some. Obviously, I know this is not where like, the concept of a radio host came from, but. No, but like, you know, Fallout is far enough after this movie that I can imagine that influence. Like, it's a cult movie, right? Like, yeah. this movie has like a following or like a, a fan base. Uh, well, after the after the fact, um. It wouldn't surprise me. Like, there's, like, the way that it shows the character walking through the desert feels kind of like it vibes with what I saw when I played New Vegas for five minutes. <laughs> oh, you should, you should um, play more of New Vegas. Well, now I have a podcast for that, so I have to wait till we do a New Vegas episode. Yeah. But yeah, I would not be surprised if that's, like, the if, if that's, like, not part of why. It's at least an influence. Yeah. This is an interesting movie. I like it somewhat, other than the parts that I hollered about already. Um, yeah, it's what it's the not... most stuff with it is also the stuff that feels the most superficial. Mm-hmm. Um, this movie does not appear on Common Sense Media, but I can tell you about Hardware, the TV show. Oh, do tell. It's a it's a Britcom. It says Excuse here, me? it's a Britcom. Is that like a, a Britcom? A sitcom, but English? Yes, it's from 2003. Consumerism, positive messages, and violence are not present, and neither are drinking, drugs, and smoking. Oh, that sounds lovely. There's lots of sex, though, and language. No, we can't have that. I know. Um, do you want to answer some questions? I'd love to. Where can people send questions? What's your favorite beeping noise? Uh, my favorite beeping noise? From this movie. Oh, you know, when I was watching the movie, that is not one of the things I uh, just mentally put aside. <laughs> uh, you know, just in case it came up in the questions. Let me think. I liked the door alarm. Yeah, that door's pretty good. It's a pretty good beep. Uh, I think I like the phone call one. But these are the kinds of questions that you can send to exportaudiopodcast at gmail.com. And we got a couple more here. These are all from Tron. 
Did you have any comment on the biblical quotes? It, I thought it was weird that like it says Mark 13, but it doesn't have a verse. I was just like, okay, but you can't just you can't just take the whole chapter as the name and not like you know you. Had, but you have to be specific when you're doing that kind of thing. But it's Mark 13, Nora. That's that's a robot. But it's a whole chapter. But it's it's the name of the robot, Nora. I know it's the name of the robot. <laughs> Um, I believe it's also not accurate either. I don't. I control left for flesh and spared, and I didn't see. This is definitely about like bad shit happening, but I don't. I don't know what verse, what verse they were talking about. I'd imagine they just saw like, oh, this part of the Bible is about bad shit happening, but also robots are sometimes called the mark number. We can do a thing. Um, I went to like Christian school when I was growing up, but I was never super into it. I don't know that I have strong opinions on this. I know one thing that you do have strong opinions about. Yeah? You have a discerning palate when it comes to Funkos. I do. Are we, are we heading through the wastes to the Funko zone? We're journeying into the Funko zone. It's the zone. We're going to scavenge some Funkos. Well, I need you to lead the way. Well, we are created on Funko.com by Your Paths Have Crossed. No need to hire a bounty hunter to gather the whole collection of the Mandalorian pop figures. No, but they probably cost about the same. Some Mandalorian merch. We have Baby Yoda t-shirts. Sorry. Star Wars hyphen the child. The child. The child. I'm not surprised they're cashing on on that one. People love that small Yoda. Got a whole bunch of stuff here from the Mandalorian. All the characters from the show are here. Ah, so they have the Mandalorian. Um, They have the Mandalorian. $11. They have Cara Dune. They have Grief Karga. uh, As Werner Herzog would say. They have Werner Herzog himself right here. And then a bunch of older Star Wars ones. But we're not here for Star Wars. No. We're here for hardware. Unfortunately, we have zero results such that it doesn't even pull up anything related. Damn. We've never been failed like this. Yeah. From the from the podcast. I think we have before, but it's time to go to the pop page. Hmm. Mmm. All right. Mm. <laughs> what have you judged up? Oh, all right. Your Funko today will be pop ad icons. Pillsbury Doughboy with heart. <laughs> what? Oh, I know who this is. I've seen this person. <laughs> uh, this is the Pillsbury Doughboy. I believe an American product. I don't know if this is a... I don't know if I can go pick up things with this lovely chap on in my country. Maybe I can. I don't know. Amazon, maybe. Maybe. I mean, I'm not going to, so it doesn't matter. Uh, It has this nice little branded hat. You put the Pillsbury logo there, I guess. You know, big fans of the Pillsbury brand will recognize that (laughs) immediately. Um, We'll recognize this character as the little guy they know and love from their Pillsbury products. 
I don't know what they sell. Yeah, you. I assume it's baking. He makes you cookies and then you poke his belly and he goes, Woohoo! That sounded good up until you got to the end. Yeah, you gotta poke the tummy and then he's like, Hmm. Maybe it's best if he stay in your country. He does have a little heart that says be mine on it. I guess this is a, a Valentine's product. Um, you know, that combined with the, the lovely smile he has, I'm sure that could woo anyone. Um, everything in mind, I think this might be a zero out of five Funkos. Hmm. Uh, I'd like to share with you um, non-Funko Pop Pillsbury Doughboy. See, he's got a tummy and you poke it. Ah, he does. I believe they could maybe have sold this concept in the Funko way a little bit better. Uh, here's some... Though I suppose that is not vin- the Funko manner. Vintage, vintage Doughboy here. Fresh and hot. Ah, the packing of the little belly. Yeah, you poke his little belly. Oh, um, I guess, like, the line that is under his head is supposed to be this little cape. Yeah. They did not model that particularly well. He's just a cute little guy. Mm, yes, but it's a brand. I'm not buying toys with brand. This no. mascot. <laughs> this idol. Oh, but some things are better together. You could buy this pop ad icons Pillsbury Doughboy with heart and also get a premium pop protector. It's $8. Gotta protect the pop. It's a piece of plastic that is a rectangle. It's almost as much as the... It's $3 less than the <laughs> fucking pop is itself. <laughs> Look, at least it's not a six-inch super pop or whatever. No. But those give me so much joy in this segment. <laughs> oh, you can get one of the Kool-Aid Man, and it's just the shape that the Kool-Aid Man is, rather than the shape that Pop Funkos are. Why Why do they not offer this luxury to the other characters? Well... As the gamers would know. say, this one is PogChamp. Sorry? I said, as the gamers would say, this one is PogChamp. PogChamp? The gamers in the audience will know. No, don't worry. Well, that was a fun time we spent in the Funko Zone. It delivered nothing to us this week. <laughs> Sometimes you get a stinker. I Sometimes mean, the other, do. like, to be fair, I clicked pop, and the first four results were Pillsbury Doughboy, Starkist Charlie, which is the tuna brand with the little whale on it, uh, Crocodile Hunter, and Smokey the Bear. So I have gone back to the homepage, and I can see that on sale is the Pop Icons KFC Gold Colonel Sanders and Pop, which is a a t-shirt, but also a, a, t- a little bucket of chicken. That I don't think actually has chicken in, I would hope that it does not. It is just a Funko Pop version of a bucket of chicken. You can get the Morton Salt Girl Funko Pop. Whomst? From Morton Salt? Sorry, that's not they're not a brand that we have over here. Sorry, the Morton's Salt Company? Why do they need a small girl to sell salt for them? It was 1914. Fair. <laughs> you just say that for anything. A little bit macabre that she has an umbrella, I guess, to stop the rain from dissolving her. She's not made of salt. Oh no, it says that she's the salt girl. Yeah, because she holds... She carries the salt. Compared to her, you are nothing. Oh, true, I guess. Who am I against those that bear the salt? Ooh. Now, there are some brand icons down here that I do recognize. 
Most of them I do not. But the green giant man, I do know who he is. I've sent Ooh. you the uh, Terminator <laughs> endoskeleton from Terminator Dark Fate. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy. This guy works out at the library. <laughs> <laughs> doing, a, doing a little bit too much here, Funko. You know, my problem with the pops is often that they do far too little. Um, and I believe that is because they are saving up all of their attention and effort for certain <laughs> figures where they do too much. And this is one of them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this, is, this is ridiculous. <laughs> I, I believe that that's a render. I think they have specifically opted not to show any real photos of this one, because I bet it looks awful. I'm sorry, Pez has a fucking mascot and it's a clown? What? Pez has a mascot and it's a clown. It looks like an emoji with a body. Ah, that's what all Funko Pops are! Um, would you like to see the uh, Dark Fate uh, Funko that isn't just a render? I can only assume it looks like a twisted amalgam of grey plastic. It does. God, it looks so stupid. <laughs> <laughs> there is something about the big heads that Funko Pops have that I don't like, mm-hmm. but I feel it it works a little bit. They almost look like chibi designs. When you peel back the skin and reveal the skeleton beneath, that all goes out the window. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's no good. Why did they not have the jaw just like wide across? None of none of the other Funkos have faces that taper down to a mouth. <laughs> this is monstrous. I see the Coca-Cola bear also got like pretty good treatment as far as everything is concerned. I'm just gonna. Do you think the different companies paid more to have their Funko look better? Is that how this works? Oh, definitely, definitely, right? I did just want to see the uh, Kingdom Hearts Funko pops. You know what? I'm gonna type Cat She into the search bar and see if it hurts me. The Vanitas. Funko kind of looks like he has a xenomorph head. Okay, there is there is no catchy Funko. I remain unharmed. Try Kate Sip. Uh, that's what I typed in. <laughs> if they fucking pronounce his name correctly in the remake, so many people are going to be very confused, having like only ever seen that in text. Uh, I did just uh, Google just to see if there were any Dragon Quest Funkos, but no. I'm going to send you a Funko product, Nora. Rare, rare that it comes in this direction. Ooh. This is the this is the Pop Pez DC Superheroes Lex Luthor, which is a green stick with a bald man's head on top. <laughs> what a ridiculous product. Wow, this thing stores 1,500 pieces of Pez candy. Ho, ho, ho. I don't think it does. That seems like a lot. I wasn't expecting to wake up at 6 in the morning today, but I did, so I'm sleepy. Oh, we should finish the podcast then. Yeah, we're still podcasting. Why can people hunt you down on the internet, Nora? Please put me out of my misery at neither Nora on Twitter or at NoraBlake.online. Oh, also at AbnormalMapping.com. My new podcast just put up its second episode, Journal Updated. We talked about Soma. The spooky video game about fish, and well, not about fish, but about goo that infects fish and bodies and robots and immortality. It's a good episode. 
I hate getting infected by goo, personally. Oh, I love it. It's great. And people can find me on the, on Twitter at Wagazelle, and they can find links to everything I work on at wagazelle.com. But I believe that is everything for this week. Time is up for the Care Hour. Send your questions in and join us next week as we watch Friday the 13th, Part 3. But until then, good night.